We are now in week two of these 40 days of prayer. Uh, I hope you got the resources this week in the email. If you didn't, uh, sign up for the weekly on the church website. Um, But the theme that's overarching the entire 40 days is this idea of reawakening. Uh, There's different themes each week of these next, uh, oh, I guess the next four weeks after today uh, to total the six weeks. Um, and so we want to reawaken to a number of different realities when it comes to God, when it comes to his work in our lives and in the world. And so last week, we, uh, we wanted to be reawakened to the glory of Jesus, just to the glory of who Jesus is. And this week, we're going to look at being reawakened to the glory of the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. Now, if you've been in church for any period of time, especially if you've been in church for a long time, like me, I can't remember a time when I uh, wasn't in the church. And that's, you know, my story. And it might not be the story of everybody, but that happens to be my story. And one of the dangers when that is part of your story that you've been in the church for a long time is that you hear, oh, life, death, resurrection of Jesus got that. I understand that. Uh, I I know that one. And then you can kind of tune out. Uh, And so the thing about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, though, uh, what we might also call the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? That's kind of our thing, Uh, is that it's deep, and it's wide, and it's beautiful, and it's glorious, and it's always good for us to remember it, to recount it, and even to reenact it. And so if you read the New Testament, the letters to the churches in the New Testament are basically just gospel primers, Almost all, especially of the Pauline epistles, the first part of it is just him preaching the gospel to church people, to Christians. And so this is something that we remember, we recount, we even reenact it. That's what this gathering is all about. We come together, we remember, we recount, we reenact the story, the gospel, and we also come together to continually reawaken to our own story and the story of the gospel. And so today, hopefully, we're going to reawaken at least in part to the glory of the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. Now, I mentioned that there's resources, and in those resources, if you get the daily emails uh, for these 40 days of prayer, there's some bonus video content that the Alliance has put out. Uh, I've seen the one for that came out, I think, today. Uh, today is day day eight, I believe, the beginning of week two. And so I want to uh, just commend that resource to you. So today, uh, we're going to break down each of those three parts, life, death, and resurrection, uh, and we're going to ask the why behind the what, okay? Why did Jesus come and live with us? Why did he have to come in human flesh? Why did Jesus die in our place? That's what we believe, that he died in our place. And why, why does it matter that Jesus resurrects to new life? Now, there could be a million sermons on all of those, but today we're going to focus on the, a few things that we see from the book of Hebrews. So if you've got a Bible, you've got a phone, you want to open up to Hebrews, we're going to be in a few selected different passages in that book. Uh, if you know about the book of Hebrews, you know that atonement is a major theme in that book. Uh, and so uh, we're going to be in the book of Hebrews, and then I'll just call out the text as we go, and you can follow along. I'll read them to you, and you can uh, read them for yourself as well. So let's begin with the life of Jesus. And by that, I mean his earthly life. He's still alive. He's been alive since eternity past. I know all that. But we're talking about the earthly life of Jesus. Why does it really matter that Jesus became incarnate at the Christmas story, right? That advent that we just had and that the decorations are gone for now, which I'm sad about. 
But why does it matter that he became incarnate at the Christmas story and lived as a fully human man here on earth? That's what we believe. That's one of our central doctrines, that Jesus is fully God, fully man. If you ask me how that works, I'm going to bump up to my limit of being able to understand because that is just too much for my mind. But that's what makes God glorious. He's beyond us. There's a lot of reasons, but for today, I want to focus you on this reason. Jesus lived with us so that he could relate to us in our humanity. He lived with us so that he could relate to us in our humanity. Now, later on in this same book in Hebrews, uh, we read that Jesus is a compassionate high priest for us because he's able to sympathize with our weakness. It actually says he's, he's not unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. So that's really important relationally for us. Think about the relational importance that that has. So I want you to think right now about a really difficult experience you've had in your life, a really uh, hard thing you've been through, a loss you've had, that thing that's so difficult in your life for you to remember that you're trying not to remember it right now, like that thing, pop that into your head. Now think about how much, how much closeness relationally you can feel with someone who's been through the same thing. Right? Whatever that experience is, there's a connection there. There's an understanding that they and you have that's really difficult if someone hasn't experienced that same thing as you have. Right? The most poignant I- example I can think of uh, right now is being a foster and adoptive parent. The last two weeks has been kind of nuts. Uh, some of you know what I'm talking about. If you don't, I'll tell you after. But it's hard, and it's, sometimes it's kind of exhausting to try to explain that stuff to people. If you've never been in that world, it's just kind of hard to explain. Uh, but put me in a room with some other foster parents, like, and they get it. I don't have to explain it. They roll their eyes at the same things I roll my eyes at, right? They get it. And in a much more eternally significant way, this is why the life of Jesus as a fully human person matters, that Jesus was a man and that matters. It matters so much that the church has held councils over this. If you know the old creed, we believe in, in you know, the, the creeds from Constantinople and Nicaea, those creeds that we've said in the church for centuries, those were over this issue, that Jesus was fully human. And so this relational aspect is why that matters so much. So, so listen to this text. This is Hebrews 2, verses 10 through 18. I'm going to read from the ESV, but whatever you have should work. Hebrews 2, verses 10 through 18. For it was fitting that he, that means Jesus, for whom and by, all, by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons and daughters to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. Verse 13, and again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. 14, since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death. That is the devil, we just sang that. Death has no more claim on us. He might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. 
For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and a faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. A couple quick things. Offspring of Abraham is you and I. We've been grafted into the family of God. Right? That's why we say, Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. I'm one of them. So are you. Let's all praise the Lord. I know you were more excited about that than that. All right, so we see two things in this text I want to highlight for us today. And they both connect with this relational importance to us as his followers between us and Jesus. Okay? So, so these two things are really important. First, we see that Jesus' earthly life connects him to our own suffering and our own weakness. As I mentioned, Jesus is not unable to sympathize with our weakness because as Hebrews later says, he was tempted in every way that we are and yet he did not sin. Like, have you ever thought about, I mean, I know he was only in his early 30s probably, but Jesus experienced human aging, right? He experienced what it's like to go from being a kid to a teenager to a young adult to a full-grown adult. That's amazing if you think. There's glory in that, that God would experience that. He was tempted in every way that we are, and yet without sin. So he experienced every emotional roller coaster that we as humans experience. You ever lost a close friend? Jesus experienced it. Been betrayed by somebody who was close to you? He experienced it. Been unjustly uh, rode through a system that, that did you wrong? Jesus has experienced it. Every emotion, uh, joy, sadness, pain, all that stuff he experienced, every ro emotional roller coaster, but he didn't do, what he didn't do in all that was stop trusting his father, which is why his life on our behalf matters, because that's the essence of our sin, is to not trust the father. And so right in our text, we also see something really important. Suffering was necessary in his humanity for Jesus to be perfect. The text just said that. So think of the glory of that alone as it pertains to the suffering that you and I will experience in this life. Jesus himself went through suffering in order to be made perfect. So then how much more does suffering mean for you and me? And I want us to hear this. None of your suffering is meaningless. None of your suffering, none of your pain is meaningless. It might be confusing. Paul said, I'm perplexed. I don't understand this. But what we can know because of the humanity of Jesus and him being made perfect in his suffering is that none of it is meaningless. Instead, your suffering, as confusing, as painful as it is, all of that suffering is somehow a tool in the hand of God in order to bring you one degree of glory at a time into a more perfect image of the Son of, of God, into a more perfect image of Jesus. That, that's the glorious goal of God in your life and in my life. That's his goal, to conform us into the image of his Son, and if his son needed suffering to be, quote unquote, made perfect, then our suffering is somehow going to lead to the same end. 
So Jesus' life here connected him with our suffering, but that's not the only relational reality that happens. Even more than that, the text says, and I want you to hear this, some of us really need to hear this, that Jesus is proud of you. He is proud to call you brothers and sisters. I know it only says brothers, but ladies, you have to be included in brothers. Men, we are included in the bride of Christ, right? So it's just even. Okay, so he's connected with our suffering and he's, pr- he's proud to call us brothers. And this comes from the reality of his life on earth where, where he learned suffering and, and where he connected to our humanity in such a way that he's not ashamed of, all, of us going through our suffering, right? If Jesus went through suffering and he's, in, he's able to sympathize with your weakness, that means when you go through difficulty, when you fail, he's not ashamed of you for that. He's proud to call us Brothers and sisters, listen, you might be ashamed of you, you might be sick of you, but Jesus is not ashamed of you. Some of us really need to take that to heart. Jesus is not ashamed of us. Psalm 34 reminds us Jesus is close to the brokenhearted. He loves and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. Right, A tender reed he will not break. Jesus is not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. So that's the, why the life of Jesus mattered, but let's keep going now. Flip over, keep flipping in your Bible to Hebrews chapter 9. Let's talk about the significance and the glory of the death of Jesus on our behalf, which is crazy, right? It's a paradox. How can we say that there's glory in the death of Jesus? Well, there is. So first let me read the text for this section and then point a few things out. Hebrews 9, I'm going to start in verse 11 and go to verse 15. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons, that's the priests, The sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, how much more will that purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? So so do you pick up what he's saying? If animal sacrifices in the old covenant could, could cover over your external sins, how much more will the blood of the Son of God who gave himself, who wasn't an animal that was forced to be given, but who gave himself and who has perfect blood, how much more will that not only cleanse your external sins, but also cleanse your conscience from wanting to do sinful things in order that you might live to God? Verse 15, therefore, this is so important, he is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. That is the gospel. A death, Jesus' death, has occurred and that has redeemed you from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. So again, two things I want to point out to you. First, this text is showing us that the death of Jesus is able to do uh, what nothing else is able to do. What it's able to do is redeem us because the blood of Jesus, and this should be pretty obvious, is more significant than the blood of any other sacrifice because Jesus is perfect in every way. 
He is uniquely qualified to redeem you from your sins. So this is what we would call atonement. In the last text we read, there's that word propitiation. That's what this means, that he is, uh, the blood of Jesus pays the debt of our sin that God, being holy and just, must have in order for us to be able to enter into God's presence. We must be redeemed in order to be reconciled back to God. We have sinned, we have fallen short of the glory of God, and so therefore a perfect sacrifice must be made on our behalf in order to make us right with God by faith in that sacrifice on our behalf so that we can be brought back into the presence of God forever, which is what we might refer to as heaven. Remember, Heaven, I'm not saying it's not about a place, but it's less about a place and it's more about presence. Heaven is less about some place out there and it's more about the presence of God dwelling with us forever. It's about being present with God forever, us being his people and him being our God when he makes all things new at the coming of his kingdom. And in order to be present with God in that kingdom, we must be made sinless, which we, I know you know this, cannot do on our own. And the way I know you know that is because you've been trying your whole life like I have, and it's not working. We must be made sinless. And since we can't do that, we need a perfect, sinless substitute for ourselves. We need an atonement, and Jesus has provided that for us. So the death of Jesus, because he's perfect and because he is sinless, secures for those of us who by faith trust him, it secures for those people a place in God's presence forever, starting now and continuing on at the coming of his kingdom forever. Now, on top of that and alongside of that reality is the reality that we see next in this text, that Jesus is now the mediator of the new covenant. Now, I'm going to give you a very fast overview of Old Testament covenants. There's always a mediator and there's always blood. That's how the covenants worked. And so Jesus is the mediator of this new covenant. If you're, if you're wondering what new covenant we mean, then I'm going to invite you to, to pay close attention in a little while when we take communion together, if you're in the room, because Jesus says that the new covenant, this new covenant is sealed in his blood. That's the institution of the new covenant. That's what Maundy Thursday is uh, rem- remembering. That he says that the new covenant is this new one that's sealed by his broken body, by his shed blood. So this new covenant is the one that Jesus inaugurates with his own body and then the one that he then becomes the mediator of. So so that means that, that through the death of Jesus, you have access to the presence of God and you have no need for any mediator except Jesus. So So that means... You have access to the presence of God. You have no need. So so to put it simply, you don't need any kind of holy man. You don't need a priest and you don't need a pastor to get to God. That's what it means. It means that as much as I love her, my grandma's wrong that my prayers count more at family dinner. They don't. There is one mediator between God and men and it's not me, it's Jesus. Jesus. You have access to Jesus and through Jesus, access to God. And remember, Jesus is proud of you. He's not ashamed to call you brother. So the word that he puts in God's ear about you is a good word. 
It's a proud word. Because he's redeemed you, he's made you his brothers and sisters, and he is not ashamed of you. That is glory in the gospel. And the reality is that through the finished work of Jesus by his death, our future in Jesus is more real and more secure than even this present moment right now. That there is a reality that is deeper and more transcendent and that will last forever that is secured in Jesus, even in this moment right now. And so let's finish then with the resurrection of Jesus. And let me read this next text from Hebrews 10. It's selected, so you've got to follow with me uh, because it ties all of this together. Okay, we're going to start in Hebrews 10, verse 12. Hebrews 10, verse 12. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But, this is a really important but, but when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. He doesn't stand there anymore. He's done. He sits down at the right hand of God, verse 13, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. Lord, come quickly and make that happen. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Now jump to verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, you can enter into the holiness and the presence of God by the blood of Jesus. But since we have confidence by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now I want to just, this is a side note that's really not part of this sermon, but it's relevant for us. This text right now people are using to guilt other people into church attendance, right? Not neglecting to meet together. The, the language there might be better spoken, not forsaking the gathering. And to forsake means to leave, so let me give you an example of the right understanding of this that I heard from another pastor on YouTube of all places. He said this, look, when I go on a three or four day business trip, nobody thinks I'm forsaking my wife at home because I'm going to come back. And so I think in this time, some of us need to have the guilt taken off of us that look, missing a few Sundays because of ice or whatever was happening is not you forsaking this place. He's saying, don't forsake, don't leave altogether. But instead, encourage one another all the more as you see the day, that's capital D, the day of the Lord, the coming of his kingdom is coming near. So stay connected to one another. This is not about church attendance, this is about connection to the community of faith. So, now back to the sermon. What I want to hopefully get us to see here is that the reality of the resurrection is the assurance of everything we just read. That the resurrection of Jesus is the stamp that says paid in full that allows us to know that our faith in Jesus is valid and will carry us through. It allows us to know that the sacrifice of Jesus in his death, it is really once and for all because he conquered death. 
And as this text just said, because it satisfied for all time the requirements of our sanctification. When we take communion, Jesus is not being sacrificed again on the altar. That was one time only. We're remembering, we're reenacting, but it's not happening again. Your sins have been paid in full. The resurrection is what assures us that we have been made whole and holy before God so that we can now pursue a life of becoming more and more whole and holy in him, what we call sanctification. And so the resurrection is what we can place confidence in because if Jesus was raised from the dead, how much more will God listen to him on our behalf? Listen to the words of Romans 8.34. Who then is the one to condemn us? No one. Jesus Christ, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. So the death of Jesus pays the debt. The resurrection of Jesus is the proof of the debt being paid. But on top of that, the resurrection of Jesus places him at the right hand seated because he's done at the right hand of God where he is proudly speaking good words to God on your behalf. He is interceding for you. But but maybe you're like me, and sometimes you begin to have doubt creep in your head and and into your heart and into your soul, and, and you begin to hear lies from the father of lies, the devil, that say things like this. Yeah, but maybe Jesus has forgotten about me. Maybe he's tired of me not doing my daily Bible reading or my devotionals. Maybe he's sick of me and my sinfulness and all my failings. And to that, I just want to gently remind you that this whole thing isn't about you anyways, which is why it's actually good news. You're off the hook. That's the gospel. In Jesus, you really are off the hook. Jesus is the one who promised to care for us and to intercede for us and to prepare a place for us. Jesus is the one who promised he would be with us even to the end of the age. He didn't promise and make you promise that you'd be with him to the end of the age. Thank God for that. He promised that he would be with us even to the end of the age. You didn't promise anything. You just accepted by faith. Jesus did the promising, and the Bible just told us that he who promised is faithful. He doesn't forget. He doesn't get tired of you. And as we already said, Jesus is not ashamed of you. He is proud to call us brothers and sisters. And so the question is not whether Jesus is good enough to live a perfect life on our behalf. The question is not whether or not Jesus could actually die in our place to take our sins on him. The question is not whether or not he has resurrected from the dead. All of those things are true whether you believe them or not. As C.S. Lewis said, the sun rises whether or not the lunatic in his cell writes no sun on his cell that he can't see. I totally butchered that quote. But the question for us is not whether or not those things are true. They're true whether you believe they are or not. The question for us is whether or not we know and love and trust this Jesus. So so do you? Do you trust him, brothers and sisters? Those of you watching online, do you trust Jesus? Do you know him today? Here's a simple way to know which direction you're moving in regards to Jesus. Am I moving towards him? Am I moving away from him? When life is a struggle... When, not if, when life is a struggle, do you, 
When you fail, do you lean in towards Jesus in trust and faith, or do you pull away from Jesus and hide? Do you, do you lean into the community of faith that is centered on the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus, or do you move towards isolation? That's just an MRI for your spiritual life. The invitation is always there to reawaken to this glory and to move towards him. He lived for you. He died for you. He was raised for you. He is not ashamed of you and he is coming for you to bring you with him into his kingdom. And all of this, that he did all of that for you, all of that is where his glory is found. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for living the life we couldn't live, dying the death we deserved, and resurrecting to new life so that in faith when we trust in you, we are in that new resurrection life. We thank you that the same power that raised you from the dead is now at work in us. And we thank you most of all that you are not ashamed of us, that you're never tired of us, you never wish we wouldn't be around, but you love us, and you speak good words on our behalf to God, our Father. Jesus, we thank you for all this, and we ask that you would bless the rest of our time today. Keep us safe as we drive home today, and we pray for our neighborhoods and communities as well uh, as uh, potentially ice or storms or whatever happens. Father, would you just bring peace into those situations? We do pray again for healing, physical healing for sickness Uh, that's going around so much right now. And we pray uh, for those who are in the medical profession who are on the front line of all of this. And we thank you again for giving us this time to come and be together, either in person or watching online. And we just ask that you would make us feel the community of faith that we are a part of, that you would draw us into yourself so that we would see the glory of your life, death, and resurrection playing itself out in our lives. Amen.